everyone, and welcome to another episode of Horror Homeroom Conversations. I'm Elizabeth Irwin. I'm Gwen Hoffman. I'm Dawn Keatley. And in today's episode, horror and pornography become not-so-strange bedfellows in Ty West's X, a love letter to 1970s low-budget filmmaking, the movie bleds humor, heart, and lots and lots of boobs to create a shockingly effective meditation on the complexities of aging. We're going to spoil the hell out of this film today, so stay tuned. We'll start with a quick plot summary and then talk about whether we liked it. The film basically follows a group of people. There's six of them, a producer, an aspiring film producer, Wayne, um, and his three stars, Maxine, played by Mia Goth, Bobby Lynn, and Jackson, um, along with two crew, Lorraine, played by Jenna Ortega, and RJ, who all head out to a small farm in Texas to film The Farmer's Daughter. And they are on the land of an older couple, Howard and Pearl, who, let's just say they're they're trying to keep their activities um, (laughs) out of the sight of Howard and Pearl, whom they think may not be terribly happy with what they're doing. Um, And anyway, so, but Howard and Pearl get inextricably linked to the story of the the film and the filmmakers. So let's start by talking about whether we liked it. <laughs> Gwen, <laughs> I absolutely loved this. I absolutely loved it too. I think it was okay. No, I'm just <laughs> no, I loved it too. It made me feel something funny in a place that I don't talk about a lot, which is actually my heart. <laughs> Wait, oh. wow, it went dark real quick. <laughs> No, I just think that it doubled down on emotions, hands down, you know, happy, sad, ecstatic, you know, startled. And like I said, sympathetic, which I haven't had a film that really made me feel sympathetic Hmm. in a long time. So who Mm. did you most feel sympathetic to? Just to follow up on that. Pearl. Pearl. Okay. Yeah. Pearl is the older woman. It's not unheard of to have a sympathetic monster per se, but again, it, it... it depends on your subjectivity. Who's a, a monster? What's a monster? Why is it a monster? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. We'll have to get into this discussion about age later on. So that's oh, why I definitely. Loved it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That, I loved it for slightly different reasons, though I have to say, I liked every character. I even liked the young people, mm-hmm. too. Um, and was it was hard to watch them die. But I basically thought it was aesthetically beautiful. Like, uh, Ty West, um, the director, did just a fantastic job. I thought, like, shot after shot was just beautiful and, like, full of meaning. And he just did some really interesting things with some split screens and the way in which the characters were positioned in relation to each other. He just did a lot to make meaning with the camera. And I guess I just was kind of blown away by that, especially in the first half of the film, I thought. So why were you yeah. a little more lukewarm? Uh, well, I'll say like the first time I saw it, I was lukewarm. I okay. think because I went in thinking it was going to be a throwback slasher. And I was really looking forward to that. (laughs) And I know a lot of reviews talk about this movie as being a slasher film. Mm -hmm. I will argue it is not a slasher film. Mm -hmm. So that really did disappoint me. My second rewatch Mm -hmm. that I did for the podcast, I absolutely loved the movie. I think because I didn't have those expectations 
And it's pretty much what you were saying, Dawn, because it's the craftsmanship. Yeah. It's just every frame seems well thought out. And you have these homages to not only classic horror films, but also like classic porno films, which I think was such an interesting blend. You also have these like little Easter eggs sprinkled through that give you an inclination of how these characters are going to die. That Which I absolutely I did, not, I did not notice. No, I well, either. no, I didn't notice that. the first yeah. time either. It was only the second time yeah. well, that I, I picked notice. up on that, and I was like, everything and just the mirroring in both the dialogue mm-hmm. yeah. as well as the scenes. Yeah, it was just so ingenious, and I was yeah. like, wow, this is a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. like not take horror out of it. It's just yeah. a good movie. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the best horror film of the year, and one of the best films I've seen recently. For that reason. Um, and, you know, for the sympathetic character, too. Yeah, um, I would definitely. The sympathetic, quote, monster. I don't know if we want to start with the question of whether it's a slasher, because I kind of think that in some ways it is. I mean, it's more than that, but I almost feel like the the structure of this film is a slasher. Okay. Film. I would say no. Okay. No. <laughs> No, I mean, I can see why people think it's a slasher, but I I really thought about this and I was kind of taking the definition of um, Carol Clover and Adam Rockoff. And it's not like they agree on everything, but they do agree on some core points. And the first is the easy one, like the killer is typically male. I mean, here we have a male killer, but we also have a female killer. And I think you could also argue that it's really the female killer that's sort of orchestrating the events. Yeah. Typically, the killer uses some sort of weapon that's phallic in nature, and that does happen in this film, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of guns, and you don't Mm -hmm. normally get guns in slasher films, and the way the guns are deployed against the characters, it's later in the film, Mm -hmm. so it's like doesn't follow that normal escalating of violence. Um, the victims also usually tend to be teens. Yeah, I don't think, for the most part, these characters were teens. I no. think they're like twenties, thirties. Bobby maybe? Lynn might even be. Could she be pushing forty? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany Snow is definitely older. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm like, they're not really sort of those young yeah. ones for the most part. A couple of core exceptions. The one area where it is very slasher-like is in the presence of the final girl. Although you have an article, Gwen, that would disagree with me. But I thought, well, you know, her name's Maxine, which if you shorten is Max. But I was thinking more, there's that one scene when they first get there and she sees Pearl in the Mm -hmm. window and she's the only one who looks. I'm like, well, okay, that's straight out of the final girl handbook. And her actions are very final girl-ish. Yeah, Vera Dyka says the final girl can see and use violence, and that's what distinguishes her. Yeah, and, and I mean, she's just the modern one, right? Like, because yeah. she definitely does drugs. She definitely has sex. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe a new little twist on, on a final girl, but I don't know that just being the sole survivor necessarily makes you a final girl. And is it enough to have a final girl to say, okay, then this movie is then a slasher if it falls apart and all the other criteria? Well, yeah, I was going to say, it's not unheard of to have a woman live through a horror film. But right. before they would call it like an endurance girl. Like she just kind of endured the horror yeah. rather than oh, fought back yeah. against the horror. But then what does it say? So let's just take that kind of uh, idea that maybe, you know, Maxine is a bit of our final girl. What does that also say, if anything, about the film that she also plays Pearl? Which I also did not know. Same. Until much after the film. I did not pick up on it. Dawn did, so we're going to give credit. Oh, yes. no. I just, I just read that. Oh, I thought like you picked it. up on it. No. Oh, yeah. I totally did not. So that's the so shout we're zero out. for three. Shout out <laughs> to special effects. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So does that say something that she played both roles? And I'm not sure that that's intentional. I mean, it has to be, I guess. I, I don't know. That decision probably was a creative one that goes to the overall narrative about aging, right? And just sort of that cycle to have the same character play both parts feels like a natural fulfillment of that. And she's the only one that plays two parts. Yes. But that is also part of what pushes the film into slasher territory because I think it's definitely Carol Clover. Maybe other people have talked about this. The con- Maybe Vera Dyka does too. The connection between the killer and the final girl. Yeah. Like there's a bond between them um, and they share some qualities including a kind of gender sexual ambiguity which isn't really so true of maxine but in this film they're really bound together because they're the same person but she doesn't wholeheartedly fit that role of kind of pure innocent no that kind of changes through the film i mean i guess she almost does an opposite transition because she does kind of start out intentionally sexual yeah and then I guess maybe is reveling against Pearl. So she's trying to fight off that which she's repressing, which is age. age yeah. And desire again in another way. So she, you know, you have Pearl who's seeking to be desirable at an older age. And she ends up almost fighting her aunt off and seems to become less sexualized by mm. the end of the film. Mm. Yeah. Possibly just because everybody else is dead. But <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like she's yeah. less sexualized because of the presence of, I don't even know how to ex- define that, elderly sex? Which, which robs the entire film of uh, any sense of desire. Yeah. Uh, I disagree. Yeah. I, I, know, I disagree. I mean, I'm, that, yeah. I'm glad that 90-year-olds are horn dogs. Like, I'm I think glad they are, that's too. That's a good thing. I'm glad they are, too. You know, and we know the truth about nursing homes. You know, yes. sex drive can go up, you know. But I don't, I don't always feel comfortable watching it. Uh, I know. I sat or next ever. to you. <laughs> so what was the original question? Let's get back to that. <laughs> we'll talk about my discomfort with that scene at another time. Well, we were talking to about, make sexual. about Maxine's transformation to... she, And she does. Like, she becomes more of a final girl. Like, less sexualized... I wonder if it's in part because the camera stops running. I mean, there's the great yeah. scene in the film where they're all sitting around right before they play Landslide, and they're talking about the fact that it's the, cam- the camera makes all the difference. Like, that's why it's okay to have sex with anyone, because the camera makes it sort of unreal or something, um, or the camera just changes everything. So the camera stops running on Maxine, and she becomes, like... Less sexual, more competent, more violent, you know, all of those things that the final girl usually becomes. Though it's also true that no one's trying to kill her. I mean, Pearl doesn't want to kill her. But it feels like the desire that Pearl had for Maxine is different from the desire that she had for other people. Like, she sees herself specifically in Maxine. So there's definitely some mirroring going on between them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's it's like the collapse of that identification and desire. Like yeah. the like 
Pearl kind of wants her because she identifies with her. So you sort of see the collapsing of those two things that are sometimes different. And yeah, the mirroring. I mean, there's the one mirror scene where yeah. Pearl says, look at yourself. And, you know, she makes Maxine look in the mirror and then Pearl's looking at Maxine, but she's reflected in the mirror too. Like they're all in the mirror. Like they're sort of, you know, one person. So crazy because you just see the yin and the yang of it, you know, with the two of them together. One is, is trying so hard to capture the other and keep it. And the other is trying so hard to run from to the run other from her, yeah. and destroy it yeah, or yeah. run over it, whichever. Yeah. And just even the way the photographs work in the film, too, because you start yeah. to see on Pearl's wall, you see photos of her when she was young yeah. and looks very much like Maxine. Mm -hmm. She's dancing. There's like a vibrancy to them. And then at the end of the film, you find out that this televangelist who's been periodically playing in different parts of the movie is the father of Maxine. And he holds up a photo of her looking very young and quote unquote innocent mm -hmm. and just sort yeah. of the juxtaposition between those two and like how we define innocence and how we define youthfulness and yeah. vibrancy. Because Maxine would tell you, I wasn't vibrant because I wasn't being who I wanted to be. I was settling for less. Whereas her father would say, but this is when you were like pure and you were still good, you mm -hmm. know, whatever those parameters mean. So I thought that was pretty interesting in terms of mirroring, but there's just mirroring all over this yeah. film. Yeah. And it's just a like, I'm, it's so interesting that you brought up that picture of the young Maxine that's shown on the, the TV screen right at the end, because I don't know. We see that Maxine. We see the Maxine that um, is violent and ambitious. We see the Maxine who stars in the porn film. And then we see essentially Maxine and Pearl, like, you know, yeah. what she'll be when she's 80 or 90. And it just like shows you like, identity is not stable. Like you people change like and become a stranger to the person they once were, like, repeatedly through the course of their lives. Well, even, like, the performance of identity, because my favorite part was the use of the blue eyeshadow. So you start by seeing the blue eyeshadow, uh, Maxine's putting it on, and the camera sort of lingers. There's so many beautiful shots of her in the water. Oh, yeah. And all you see is kind yeah. of this blue eyeshadow, and it's just very ethereal and pretty. And then cut to Pearl, who decides to go into seduction mode and she's putting the it's not supposed to be funny <laughs> liz loves every man in i do i do because she's like putting on the the blue eyeshadow but it suddenly is supposed to be right as garish yeah. and then you as like the audience has to kind of sit back and be like well why is there that switch i mean there's the sex scenes which i understand can trigger like the different feelings like between seeing you know the younger people having sex versus like these what they got to be like 80 90 yeah like so i, I get 80s, that 90s. but just even something as simple as putting on blue eyeshadow mm -hmm. still evokes that same sort of yeah. repulsion yeah. and that to me was super interesting like well, even the performance of wanting to be desired or the performance of sexuality isn't allowed it's sad in one yeah. way. I mean, yeah. that That's just, what I was be, I, I'm like, my God, you're in your 80s. Haven't you learned to define yourself around mm. something else? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, that was my main reaction. Me it's too. like, why are you still trying to be sexual? Like, can't you be something else? And, and what does it say about you as 
a grown woman, though, and this is not me blaming Shaman, because, and I was writing notes as you guys were talking, you know, so so is this a love story for Howard and Pearl? Because he apparently will go to any length for this woman. True. And it's not enough. She's almost insatiable. She kills him. Yeah. Like, she basically coerces, well, whatever. Getting nothing out she, of it. She persuades him to have sex with her finally, and then he has a heart attack, which... Yeah. But he doesn't have the heart attack after sex. He has the heart attack after moving the body. Yeah. I don't know. That feels important to me. I don't know why. But that feels like well, maybe it makes it less line, of an indictment. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he was just afraid to. Because you get to a certain age and you start to be afraid to do things. Yeah. I guess I, I just, I'm still going back to, I think, what Dawn said is, you know, when she was putting on that makeup, I yeah. just thought, like, wow. Not in a way, not necessarily a pitiful way, but I think you just said it well. How have you not found anything else yeah. at that point in your life yeah. that you can rest your hat on other than just that? So, I mean, I, I think we have sort of bifurcate, like like split reactions here, mm -hmm. right? I mean, on mm -hmm. the one hand, we're supposed to sort of say, and I think this is what you're saying, Liz, it's like, why can't old people be desirable and aspire to look attractive and have sex? Um, and sure, they can, but on the other hand, it's like... Why are you still trying to be only that at this point in your life? I mean, young people can maybe be forgiven because they're young and stupid, but, you know, like, you're supposed to grow beyond that, right? Yeah, and it does mirror, uh, what's her name, Maxine, because I feel badly for her, too. It's not like I felt... Right. I didn't solely feel badly for Pearl because she was old. You know, and maybe, again, you know, I look at that because I think, okay, I'm going in that direction. I'm not going in Maxine's direction. Same. Every day I'm moving <laughs> towards the Pearl, you know. And I'm I'm happy where I'm at, and I'm hoping to be still happy, if not happier, at that age. But I also look at Maxine, and I think, you dumb young kid. Yeah. But it's normal to have those self-esteem issues, I guess, at that age. And to, to seek gratification through some of these means, through something like sex or, you yeah. know, videos or fame. But is it a self-esteem issue, or is it trying to recapture something that you think has been taken away from you unfairly? Because that's where I, that's how I read it. With Pearl? With Pearl. So, okay. like, as you age, you know, society does start to take things away from you, right? Like, yeah. should you be driving? Should you be wearing that? Should you be acting that way? Like, there's all these yeah, sort of right. rules and customs. And I think yeah. I'm and, very and, curious yeah. about the, the prequel because yeah, I would too. like to know why it's this thing that was taken away from her that triggers her. So there's yeah. clearly some something in the backstory. Which I I cannot, I absolutely cannot wait for that film. I know, I'm more it looks so good. in that even than this one, and I loved this one. Although, you know, after reading this article in Salon, it sounds like the director was going more for emotion than storyline. And if there is some storyline involved, he's like, that's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> but he builds it off, off of emotion, which is also probably why it was such a successful horror film, because you can't have a good horror film without emotion. But, but even how we're reading Pearl and like her interest in desire and sexuality were at totally different ends of the spectrum, but yeah. we all had sympathy for her. Yes. So he did accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're not wrong about how society does yeah. remove things yeah, for people. That's true. And I seem I I think I forget that. Yeah. Because I've found so much more independence the older I get. Right. Yeah. That you know, the older I get, I can speak my mind. The older I get, I can wear stupid outfits and you know the yeah. older i get i don't care if somebody's judging me yeah 
but I'm also not at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's just what I was about to say. You're still on the Far upswing. Off. Yeah, absolutely. The downswing's going to hit you. Absolutely. And so, <laughs> but, and also she was born, like, I don't know. She came of age in like what, 1918. So, so the yeah. rules and maybe what was available to her were probably different as well, well especially when it comes to sex yeah. and repression. Well, and she might have made advancements and then gotten kicked back too, because then you have the war, you have changes in fashion for women, some opportunities yeah. that they had, and that even got yanked. Yeah. So I mean, and she kind of misses the sexual liberation yeah. era, probably, because she would have been married to Howard by then. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Unless they were swingers. I mean, I anything know. can happen in Pearl. I'm like, you know. I, I mean, he's very I'm, open. Yeah. Listen. So is it a slasher? You say I don't yes, think you so. say no. I don't think so. I, well, I, I guess I do think it is. Well, I mean, I think Maxine is an interesting mutation of the final girl. And I think we've talked about that a little bit. I guess the the main the moment for me that sort of solidified the slasher status, and I know you said you like this scene, Liz, was the first kill when mm. um, Pearl kills RJ, uh, the <laughs> the director that they brought on board, and she she goes up to him in the headlights, and Don't Fear the Reaper is playing in the car, which is a callback to Halloween and to Scream, where that film is where the song is really important in both those films. And she, like, Pearl makes this advance on him. He rejects her. And then she whips the knife from behind her back and stabs him violently and repeatedly. And, and, and I was like, this is totally Michael Myers. But it's, it's also that sort of sex or violence that characterizes the slasher. Um, I mean, Carol Clover said that. This is a phrase that has always stuck with me. Violence and sex are alternatives in the slasher, not concomitants. Um, and it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, they don't have sex. They seemingly don't have any kind of desire. You know, the Slaughterhouse family. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to have sex with Sally once they've captured her. They want to kill her. And I, to me, that moment where, the, where RJ rejects Pearl, like, she becomes the slasher killer. She's like, if I can't have sex with you, I'm going to kill you. Um, and she becomes kind of like the slaughterhouse family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I just can't get away from and the she guns. Starts killing. <laughs> well, gun, guns. I know. I mean, and Carol Clover says that she's like, no guns in the slasher film. But that's really been changing. I mean, the the Hallow all the Halloween reboots recently, lots of guns. But if this is, and this is where I get hung up. So. You get that great sort of easy rider. This is 1979. We are in 1979 territory. That's where the films that are the biggest homages are coming out of. So why would it update that? But, but, but does Pearl shoot anyone? Because I think Pearl. Yeah, because she breaks her hip. <laughs> oh. Because I think Pearl's slasher, Pearl's story is a slasher story. You know, she mm. stabs RJ, she shoves one of the characters into an alligator. That's not a gun. I love that, <laughs> that scene yeah, so much. Kill. That makes sense, because I was going to say it's a horror film with strong slasher overtones, yeah. not even undertones. There's and, more to it. And, but if slasher. you look at it solely as she's our quote-unquote monster, mm -hmm. then she, sh and we're kind of sidestepping Howard as kind of like the Robin to the Batman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, truly then it becomes, yeah. it does. But that's like saying that Lake Placid was a slasher film. And I wouldn't say no. that it was. <laughs> <laughs> Lake, 
mean, but I'm saying that in terms of pushing the, which is what that particular moment's an homage to, I thought. And so you're pulling from things that aren't slashers. Okay, I'm just going to have to write a very long... <laughs> you're welcome. Um, ...manifesto about how this film is a slasher. We can disagree here. But, you know, like, it's also like repressed desire. Yes, 100%. Slasher, well, that's, yeah, that's very that's, true. That's, just, that's, that's driving true. this. Who else does Pearl kill? RJ? And then, like... The the RJ is arranged in the basement for other people to find him. I mean, that's what they do, and that's what Michael Myers does. Arranges pe- dead people. I don't people. think that was RJ. It was Howard? Oh, I think that was, was another. Was that Wayne? Vis- no, I think that was another visitor. Oh, okay. Someone... That was already down there. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I believe so too. Yeah. The naked guy hanging in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, because Howard mentioned something about the last Bohemian that was here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we found. Okay, so he was in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, Pearl Pitchfork's Wayne. Pitchfork? Pitchfork. Yeah. No, that definitely Slash fits. For sure, for sure. Actually, she didn't, because she shot at Maxine. That is one interesting thing I have to say about, like, in terms of the monster. I'm trying to think of another horror film, or particularly a slasher film, where the monster takes him or herself out. Because that's essentially what happens with Pearl. Like, she, the kickback of the gun throws oh. her off of the... Yeah. The house and she breaks a hip and so she can't move. Oh, and what does that say about her? Like, <laughs> but right though, he I even mean, robbed right, her of the old. ability to be a, a yeah, slasher. She, yeah, there's society again. I mean, that's just the natural aging process, right? Like you start to deteriorate and yeah. But I can't think of another movie monster that one was is so sympathetic and then two like really sort of orchestrates their own demise. It doesn't come from the final girl here. Her actions are kind of tangential. Yeah. I mean, her, the killer's already yeah. disabled and lying on the ground. Yeah. So Maxine just has to run her over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but I guess, uh, Gwen, did you also see that this is somebody, or was it Ty West himself, who talked about this as like a psycho bitty movie? Oh, yeah. exploitation. I was reading it, and I can't remember if it was in... And oh, that, it was under Wikipedia. They were just talking about how several people had written about the film, and I think it was uh, one of the uh, the individuals from Fangoria wrote about it, and they called it psycho bitty horror jum- subgenre. So I knew that that would poke Liz <laughs> a little bit as soon as I saw it. I just would love to read that article and find that <laughs> argumentation because this fits none of the criteria of psycho bitty or hag exploitation, whatever you want to refer to it as. Well, it has a hag in it. I mean, but that. And they use the word psycho bitty, don't they? Like, I'm pretty sure that somebody it's like calls calling Ursula from The Little Mermaid a psycho bitty. Exactly. I mean, I guess you could stretch it much like we want to stretch the slasher definition. I'm just messing with you. Slasher definition. <laughs> and actually, uh, Maxine doesn't call Pearl a psycho bitty. I think she calls her a psycho bitch. So oh, that's, that is, yeah, that is true. That's but different. for me, at least, like high exploitation or psycho bitty, however you want to refer to it, like there's two core components. The first is that it features an aging Hollywood actress who's trying to sort of reclaim some of um, her glory. She was a dancer. 
Yeah. Yeah, but she wasn't performed by she's performed by Mia Goth, who's like what in her twenties. So she's not somebody oh, who's she's not herself, right? The, the actor herself uh, is okay. is not somebody. Talking, so like Barbara Pearl. Stanwyck yeah. or Joan Crawford, yeah. people True. like that. And the second is there has to be an element of camp quality. And I think you do this film a big mm-hmm. disservice if you say it's campy. <laughs> it's no funny. Camp. I mean, it, there was some landslide in there. I like, don't think it's campy. I no. It's I guess you're right. I don't movie. think it, I don't think that's its overt intention. No, I don't. And I I wouldn't yeah. say there was any like for me the landslide scene probably should never have worked because it's just been overdone. I found it extremely moving, and I thought it was very well done and evoked a lot of emotion. That, to me, is like the opposite of camp. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's one of the split-screen moments where you see Brittany Snow, Bobby Lynn, singing Landslide, and on the split-screen you see Pearl. Um, And I think the part, even the part of the song where it says some, something about you're getting older too and then you see just pearl taking her gown off and her back and yeah that's not campy no yeah. you're right but maybe the moment when she's i don't know i think there may be campy moments i think there's humor definitely there's humor. but i, I don't know that i would say camp. it was camp yeah. But I did. I'm glad you mentioned the back scene because it yeah. made me think of you, Gwen, when we were talking about Pet Cemetery. With Zelda. Yes, it oh, made me think yeah. of Zelda. And if that sort similar. of that image was being deployed in yes. the same way, I mean, it felt yes. like it. It did. And you gave such a great summary of why that was so horrible to use deformity in that way Absolutely. in that movie. That it feels like an interesting intersection with age in this film. I knew there was something familiar about that shot, and it is from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, when her, the her gown starts one. to come off. Yeah, which it's it's like performity, performativity on top of performativity. Yeah. because you also had a man who is able-bodied playing Zelda, who is a woman mm-hmm. who is you know stricken with with ailments, and then you have this one, which is a able-bodied, youthful oh, person, yeah. exactly playing. Ooh. Yeah. Somebody that's supposed to be robbed of everything. Exactly. It, it is a very, I don't know, but there were, I think it is just maybe it was another one of those Easter eggs. I don't know how in, intentional all of it. I don't know. It's just this movie seems to me like so intentional. Like it's hard for me to mm-hmm. think that these things just coalesced out of the blue. Yeah. Because when he's talking about like what his references were film wise, it's almost like shots are shot for shot in some cases. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in particular. And apparently he said he was trying to avoid the shadow of that, which really reminded me of Ari Aster saying that in Midsummer he was trying not to follow the Wicker Man. I'm like, oh, please. Like, it's (laughs) entirely the Wicker Man. Um, And I felt like this film was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In that Salon article that we have here, um, he said that... He knew that if he said it in Texas yeah. in the 70s, it was going to evoke things. So he was trying to intentionally, since you were going to do that, start you maybe there, but then take you away from yeah. there. And I know you guys said that you felt he maybe did that a little bit more successfully. I don't know if I ever really wholeheartedly got out of that. I don't know. I didn't either because, I mean, the the film has some, like Liz says, like I, some identical visual references to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, the cows, 
roadkill, the van. I mean, I'm no expert on cars, but it seemed like the same van. The gas station, the gas sign, the ice uh, machine outside the gas station, and the shots of, of the, the long shots of the van behind the waving grass. There's even like one of the characters goes down to the swimming hole, which they try to do. The, oh, the shots of characters coming up to the door of the house and they're shot from inside through the screen door, just like Texas Chainsaw. And yeah, it moves away from that. But I then started reading everything through Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I'm like, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, the family is produced by sort of industrial capitalism and the slaughterhouse. And that that's the issue Toby Hooper was working with. And here we have another older family, um, an older couple produced by, well, just like aging and mortality yeah. and the sort of desperate unhappiness and the losses and the repression that comes along with that. And in both cases, violence is the consequence. I, yeah. It's not the same film, just different themes. Well, it's interesting what you're saying about aging, because I did look up, there's um, a writer, her name's Vivian Sobchak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wrote uh, The Leech Woman's Revenge on the Dread of Aging in a low-budget horror film, of which this is supposed to be evocative of. And um, there's a quotation that I just wanted to read. It comes from a presentation she gave. Are morally, that these films are morally charged stories that represent the aging woman as both scary and scared as frightening to others as she is to herself, excessive by virtue of her age and gender and doubly monstrous in that she experiences desire even while she no longer is perceived as desirable. The aging woman offers an alternative to the monstrous woman that feminist theory has described. Her scariness has less to do with sexual desire and castration anxiety than with abjection and death. Do you think that's true with Pearl or do you think that Pearl might be an exception to that because do you think it's less to do with sexual desire? Because I don't know that there's like a castration anxiety necessarily, but there's definitely the objection and, you know, concern moving toward death. And her physical body. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that if you view it less as an act of desire and you view it as like they were trying to be abject, then I can see it. But I was looking at it over your shoulder and... It makes sense because I was actually going to ask you guys next if you really think that Pearl is a monster and if so, what quantifies or qualifies her as a monster. And I think that that speaks to it, that it's more about it's it's less about desire. Say there, Liz. And castration. Castration and more about. So less to do with sexual desire and castration anxiety than with abjection and death. Yeah. Though I think with Pearl part of the monstrousness does come from sexual desire. Like, it, it's monstrous that this sexual desire is emanating from an abject body. I mean, it's bringing two things together that shouldn't be there, right? Like, she's terrifying in part, in large part, because she feels sexual desire. But if you reject that there's an object, abjection in her elderly body, yeah, what does is. that do? Well, you know, I mean, they definitely overtly tried to make her look somewhat off-putting because it's not like they had Sophia from the Golden Girls getting down. 
because we're all okay with it. <laughs> You'd be okay with that? Well, yeah, I can handle that a little bit better. I mean, we've already, you know, committed ourselves to Blanche's character, and she's of a certain age, and she's rocking it. Yeah. So it's not just that elderly shouldn't be sexual. It's elderly that look like that. Which is what the Zelda thing coming back is, full circle. Yeah, well, I mean, Blanche is about 20 years younger than... Pearl, don't you think? Yeah, she's only in her 50s. I don't want to shock anybody, <laughs> but the Golden Girls were in their 50s. <laughs> well, either way, Sophia. Like, I mean, she was dating. Welcome to that's, my nightmare. <laughs> stuff didn't bother me when she's walking around in her little nighty and, you know, trying to. But that's like a good 40, it could be 30, 40 years. Yeah. And that's. Well, and the body will deteriorate into. Yeah. And I have to say, The Leech Woman, which is a fabulous movie. Like, the lead character, and this is another film where, like, one actress plays women of different ages, but she starts out the film, you supposedly already loathsome and old, and she's probably in her late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> nice. Stop it. Nice. <laughs> That's right. So I, I think the I, definition I of what is, like, frighteningly old <laughs> has, has changed over the decades. At my job, when we have to teach the different stages of development... They talk about infancy, toddlers, you know, pre-adolescence, adolescence, and then they have this category. It's literally called 35 to death. <laughs> but fair. <laughs> what? Like 35 to death. Like there's nothing in between that. That's insane. If that's the case, then I should be able to start collecting Social Security at 36. <laughs> <Which? laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it ain't going to be there when I hit my 70s. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you want to have a really good fight, tell someone that middle age is 40 or 45. They freak out. People flat out freak out. I'm like, so you're going to live to be 125. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because if, I mean, what's life expectancy for women? Like, a little higher than men. Yeah. Like 80. 80, maybe? That may be on the high side, actually. Not that long. But if you think of it on a bell curve, middle age is, you're, you're at your peak, man. At middle age. Yeah. <laughs> Which I... Absolutely. Uh, I guess it depends on your subjectivity on that matter. Right. <laughs> uh, what is middle age supposed to be these days? Um, I mean, I, I do think it's been shifting older. I'm looking up I hear a lot of people, like, <laughs> I would say who I've been talking to, but they're very adamant that, like, 60 is middle age. And I'm like... No. Why? Oh, that's a little late. Because yeah. 60 is the new 40. And I'm like, well, no, it's really no. not. <laughs> So if middle age starts at like 40 and, and like when does elderly begin these days? Probably 70. Retirement? Like I'd say post-retirement because yeah. then if you're not contributing. Oh, brother. We're going to take the capitalist <laughs> I definition was just of say, that. Uh, that's interesting. And you're more of a dependent again. Yeah. Even but though you, you've still got, you know, a lot of life to live at that point. I just wonder if that would categorize you in a larger society. Because I would not look at a 65-year-old and think elderly. I don't either. No, that, no. That's a, the more interesting question to me is what's elderly as opposed to what's middle-aged. Yeah, I don't think I'd look at a 65-year-old and think elderly. I yeah. think by the time someone hits 80, most for the most part, I'm looking at them thinking they're elderly. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, some people can be in their 70s and not look elderly. I have family members whom I will not name because they know where I live that are of a... <laughs> Elevated age, but have marathons and are in better shape physically than I am. So I don't middle age self, (laughs) right? But yeah, I I agree with you. I wouldn't look at any of them and think elderly because you also wouldn't see them in a 
you know, geriatric living scenario unless they had gone into some of those, you know, 55 and over communities because they're smart. <laughs> but see, then that becomes the question because we know what's happening statistically in those 55 and over communities. Yeah, we do. But yet you don't see we that do. reflected in any... <laughs> Gwen and I are clearly deviants when it comes to research, <laughs> but there's a like very high transmission of STDs. Seriously? Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's basically animal health of a certain age. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if this film is tapping into that, though. Honestly, like they clearly made Pearl too old for that to be acceptable to most audiences. <laughs> yeah, she looks at me. Yeah. This is correct. Yeah. So yeah, I mean because. And that, you know, it's a horror film. So they're trying to make Pearl a monster. And so back to the question, like, what does make her monstrous? But is Pearl the monster? Or maybe the audience suppose, is supposed to be the monster, right? Because this movie hinges upon our yeah. reaction to yeah. her physical body and to her age yeah. and to, like, yeah, well, and the not sexuality. Just, not just us, but the characters, too. I mean, I think the mm -hmm. scene, that scene is so interesting where... Me, uh, Maxine is lying in bed um, by herself and Pearl comes up, takes off her clothes and lies in bed next to her and she's nothing but sort of loving. <laughs> um, she, no, not threatening in the slightest. And, and, and Maxine like opens her eyes and like screams in insane horror. And I, I imagine the audience kind of feels the same, too. And it's a little creepy, but it's not that scary. Or maybe it is. Well, you heard the reaction. Like, we heard the reaction when there's the scene where Howard and Pearl finally have sex. Yeah. And you heard, you kind of heard that little underbelly of, like, <laughs> Yeah. And I almost think that that is supposed yeah. to be the monstrosity of the film is the audience's reaction. reaction well, it wasn't to that just scene. them having sex. He was being trapped underneath them <laughs> having yeah, Maxine sex. Yeah, Maxine is underneath. Because she was in, under the bed, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was. Yeah. So she's, she's in a voyeuristic <laughs> role, but she was in a voyeuristic role She was all throughout the porn. trying to get out of that well, yes, voyeuristic role. <laughs> but, you know, when true. they were shooting the porn film, like, you had everyone yeah, watching and... That was, yeah. that was fine. That was, yeah, that was, so that voyeur was okay. Voyeurism, <laughs> voyeurism is not a problem here. It's, <laughs> it's what she's being forced to witness. Yeah. It's, I guess if that's the most horrifying moment and the audience has their sort of most horrified reaction in that scene, that does say something about the audience more than the characters. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, and it's nothing new to horror because, you know, or hell, even. Disney, you know what I mean? We've yeah. always kind of vilified postmenopausal women. Right. That's, you know, because if you're not bearing fruit, yeah. <laughs> you're no longer deemed very desirable, necessary um, in many cases. And that, having not read the article that you referenced that said, you know, this is psycho bitty, that could be the one strain where you might be able to make an argument that it's psycho bitty. Because of the postmenopausal non-fruit-bearing woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it has to center a, a postmenopausal yeah. woman, but it also has to like center a monstrosity that exists within that reality. Because we don't get a lot of the other kind of side of that, like the help meet, because a lot of times if you're postmenopausal, you're either this helpful person yeah. or yeah. you're a witch. And we don't really get that in horror. We only really get the one side, and it's not new, but I've never really thought about it. What does it say about the audience 
that you're basically cringing at a sympathetic elderly woman and then later on cheering that somebody ran over her head. (laughs) (laughs) But were you cheering or did you feel... I kind of felt bad. I mean, I felt bad for Pearl, but I mean, I just like a good kill shot. So at that point, I didn't... I I was no longer aligned with anybody because I just was grateful (laughs) to have a horror film that actually has horror in it. Right. Again, because it's been so... Agreed. Elevated. And I can't... We don't do elevated here. I will never be elevated. (laughs) God, I hate that term. Yeah. Yeah, this was not elevated. So... But it just took me back to the... Yeah. The roots of good 70s and 80s horror. That's just a little bloody and booby. <laughs> Do you think that explains, because I did have a question. I wanted to get your guys' take on the religious undertones in the film, because they're yeah. numerous. So we already mentioned sort of the preacher who appears in multiple locations. Uh, one of the characters, um, Jenna Ortega's character, Lorraine, is called a church, church mouse. mouse. Uh, mm-hmm. She takes off her cross when she decides she wants to participate in the porno film. <laughs> Um, and they start, there's like sort of that incantation of, I will not accept the life I don't deserve that we hear repeatedly from Maxine. And we also hear through the preacher. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, we learn right at the end that that is what he says. I will not accept a life I do not deserve. Yeah. And it seems like it was doing something mm-hmm. with religion, but yeah. I don't know what. I've gone round and round yeah. about it. Unless it is just doing what Gwen was saying and like centering sort of that 70s aesthetic of a typical 70s aesthetic would be in violation of the church. So yeah. maybe it was trying to introduce that component. I don't know, but it was cool. Yeah, and I it's like I'm reflecting back on this Salon article because I know that they had mentioned something about the sheriff and the televangelist kind of stealing the show. Hmm. And he'd kind of talked. But it, over and over again, the director really just keeps coming back to, yeah, that was great, but I was going for a feeling. Because yeah, even his response to the you know, questions about the televangelist. And it's like, okay, it's great. He gave a great performance. He really makes you feel. It seems like this guy is just Mm. really solely going for feelings that help tell the story. Because he even made mention at some point that plot was never that important to me. Plot's only important if you're Agatha Christie. And Mm. I'm just trying to make y'all feel. Mm. But that totally makes sense to me. Because Mm. if you think of, like, 70s horror as well as 70s porn Porn, yeah it is not i mean they're different feelings being evoked but it's not at all about the plot it's just about feelings and what feelings are those (laughs) the naughty (laughs) kind (laughs) (laughs) but that is i am curious because i've heard a lot of people say that people walked out like they found the sex too much yeah I didn't, you don't really see anything. I mean, you see a lot of boobs, but yeah. do you, you don't no. really see too much else. It didn't seem in excess to other things, especially of the 70s. Yeah, he even In fact, says, it seemed dialed back. He even says in response to that, what did you think you were signing up for? Because it's, it's true. I mean, it's a horror film. But again, think about it. It's been a long time since there's actually been a horror movie like this. yeah. But it's also like how the sex scenes were shot, too, because they weren't really shot from a voyeuristic point of view. It was more. And they also made it a point to show like the humor. There's a one part yeah. where um, Bobby Lynn starts laughing and then she remembers she's on camera and she like stops and, you know, tries to to act like a traditional porn star. It, it just didn't seem like a highly sexualized movie to me, despite no, its subject matter. Much less than I thought it would be. Same. 
you know, I, for the premise that we read before going in is, okay, it's basically a horror film that happens when they're creating an adult movie. Right. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's <laughs> it's going to have a little bit more of the adult movie-ish. And then I saw Britney Snow. I was so pumped. I love her Brittany. in this movie. I love just her. say she's so yeah. good. Underrated, but I, she was even in what Would You Rather? She did a great yep. job in that. She's done some some horror stuff, but I absolutely love her. But yeah, definitely not as porny as I thought it would be, no. except for just I think some of the visual homage. Well, this also gets into another question of I think we have to talk about Jackson and the way Jackson is used in this film. Mm-hmm. Jackson Hole. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I mean, the thing that bothered me about him, and actually I only thought of this after just having this conversation, because while you were talking just, just then about you know the porno part of this, I was like, it, it's the porno parts are really filtered through the camera, and it's all really performative. And, you know, there's a, a split between who they are in the scenes where they're not being filmed and then the film itself. The bothersome part about Jackson is that he doesn't seem to really have an identity outside of himself as a porn star. Like, he's that in the film that they're filming, but then out in the scenes outside of that, he also seems to be like sort of wholly into this idea of himself as great at sex. Now the only the only part that kind of that sort of diverges from that is when he becomes the marine at the end. Yeah. I was going to say cuz he's the, the only difference. male character that I really seem to get some backstory for. I mean, RJ you got it. Okay, he's a bit of a wimp, but you didn't really have much sense of anything else Who he, he was, did. Yeah. In the outside of this film, and at least with Jackson, I was like, oh, okay, you know, he he did service. He was in Vietnam. He I was think. in Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, he off. He also had a certain amount of respect for Howard because even when Howard comes knocking on his door, he wants to be like, dude, get out of here. Yeah. But I think it was just respect for you know, either age and or I can't remember if Howard had served either. He did, and he, he was did. like and always yeah. a marine, and yeah. he was just like, all right, well. So he had values, which I don't know what other people's values were necessarily. I don't know. Well, they did talk about it. Like, Brittany Snow was like, oh, you know, this is my American dream. That's right. You know, she talked about her ambitions. The two filmmakers, RJ and Lorraine, like, they have ambitions to be filmmakers. I mean, I felt like Jackson was just sort of like, yeah, I'm just... I'm just a porn star. Doing sex. Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> I think up until the point where he goes and helps Howard. Yeah, then he became yeah. so sympathetic to yeah. me that it kind of... Because as we were watching well, the film, I was like, richer. this is a problem, right? Yeah. And then when that scene happens, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. They're, they're setting it up to undermine yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, he even goes wading into the lake or pond or whatever it is uh, yeah. to help. I mean, yeah, he became a... I mean, he, he wasn't a non-sympathetic character. He just seemed a very flat character until that moment. And isn't it interesting that that kind of transition from porn star to Marine happens as you see his physical body in the doorway and it's emphasizing his physical body in the doorway, but it's in shadow. And then from pretty much the rest, he becomes covered, Mm -hmm. less sexualized. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's covered in the water and then you start to see him humanized. That's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we don't often talk about this in terms of men. It's always women that are yeah. sexualized. But that's kind mm-hmm. of what I was trying to say. 
Like, he just seemed overly sexualized to me until that moment when he became a Marine. Which does not do well for stereotypes of yeah. African-American men, white women, fears at the time, especially. It changes. But I don't know, again, how overt that was meant to be. But I did find his death to be the most upsetting to me, it, which is interesting yeah. Yeah, because it's yeah. it's the less violent. Yeah. You, don't really you don't really see, see the it. carnage. Yeah. But... I just had so much, I just liked yeah. the character so much at that like point, especially his reaction too. you know, as it's becoming increasingly clear that Howard is maybe not playing with a full deck. His, mm-hmm. Just his responses are so kind and still respectful. And then all of a sudden, you know, you lose them. And it felt like a betrayal. Yeah, a lot it, of it felt very much like a betrayal. could have seen Howard knock on their door and be like, dude. Yeah, she'll be back. Knock it off. Come on. Right. And he was like, no, come on. Let's just go look. And he just seemed like he was trying to be very helpful the whole entire time. And then he gets backstabbed. (laughs) But that's one thing I'll say about this film is I thought all the characters were sympathetic. There wasn't one that I thought like, oh, I really want to see you get it. I mean, there were some deaths I enjoyed more than others. I definitely like the cinematic quality of RJ's and sort of the dance that. Yeah. Pearl does and it's illuminated with these like great headlights and the music and then okay well we have to talk about what the alligator was there for (laughs) apparently Ty West had to film at a place that had an alligator yeah but he doesn't say why Um, wait was that a real alligator (laughs) did I just ask the world's stupidest question (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a good answer for that yeah I don't either it looked at moments it looked real my favorite scene of the movie is when you get that great overhead yes. shot and you see Mia Goth's character swimming and then the alligator slowly following behind yes. and then at the last minute she gets out. That was I mean, the best. That evoked Jaws, but also uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. You know, the scene where the main female lead in that film, Kay, is swimming and the creature is sort of swimming parallel with her. There was something of that in that, be- yeah, it was my favorite scene, too. The, this beautiful aerial shot of the alligator swimming behind Maxine. And it didn't even look threatening or dangerous. No, it's so it peaceful. Like, seemed, Yeah, they were just chilling, swimming together. Which is what I think is interesting about like nature in this film, is that it seems like designed, instead of being threatening the way it can be in yeah. a lot of horror films, sort of like that seclusion and... It's like the opposite here. Like it's it's very almost feels like generous and protective in a way. Because my favorite part is like at the beginning, the cicadas. That's all you hear are cicadas. I'm obsessed with this. Yeah, Gwen's laughing that. at me, but I. <laughs> all right. We both I got our things. This is intentional. So like all you hear are the cicadas, and cicadas like represent like rebirth and like cyclical life, and which is exactly what you're seeing between Maxine and Pearl. So. I liked that part, but for the alligators, it kind of, I think the alligator was almost like a stand-in for Pearl because the alligator is pursuing Maxine just like Pearl sort of pursues her. And you know, then later Pearl kills the woman she doesn't like, Brittany Snow, by pushing her to the alligator. So it's sort of like a death by kill she's killing her by proxy. But Apparently, and Gwen probably knew this and I didn't, I mean, alligators, I think, are a good sort of way to represent aging because apparently they can live forever. Like alligators can literally, like they don't really kind of 
die of aging. They just kind of keep living. And oh, that's they, interesting. I didn't know that. They only die from like accident or injury or starvation or something like that. I mean, I didn't know that either. Uh, and maybe my source was wow. completely wrong. Isn't that <laughs> that's I'm cool, thinking, though. Isn't that interesting, too, because it's one of the few animals that's been around and has not really had to change or evolve yeah. much more than most animals yeah. do. And a lot of times, too, when people get that old, leathery skin, they call it alligator skin. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why hasn't there been a horror movie called <clears throat> The Alligator Woman? Has there been? There Did I just miss been. it? I um, mean, in a conda... Uh, gators and there is a movie called Alligator. and yeah, there's I'm sure Alligator there's something. And if Tiffany woman. and Debbie Gibson fight it out in that, I'll watch it. <laughs> oh too. my god, who wouldn't? Is the question. Come on now. So, do we have any last thoughts? Highly, highly recommend. Like this is a this is definitely one of the best horror movies that's yeah. come along recently. I agree with that statement. I think that it. I love a horror film that puts emphasis on emotion over plot. And I still think that, I don't think any of the plot suffered at all. No. And I'm even looking back at some of the things that I hadn't gotten to fully read. And he is saying in his Salon article that he was trying to subvert some of the tropes that are in a slasher. So he's saying, okay, you know, I'll give you some, you know, of that, that it's slasher-ish, but I was trying to challenge some of those tropes. And then he also did talk about the one time that he said... It wasn't even about an intent, but he was asked about how do you approach the anxieties that many viewers and American society as a whole may have about sex and the elderly and the aging body. And he really just kind of tosses it back. He doesn't talk about his intent. He's like, well, I think that says a lot about the audience then. So it is very subjective, which I also love, too, because that's what horror is. It is subjective to what our fears are in that moment. Definitely. Because I might have reacted even more viscerally if I was... You know, the classic 18-year-old watching a horror film like this versus the older I get. Yeah. But I, I loved that it, it made me laugh. I'm la- I love that it made me cringe. I love that it made me jump. I love that, again, what is that landslide scene was. It was a good yeah. scene. I haven't felt something like that in a horror film. Like I was like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this right now? Right. Maybe taking of Deborah Logan and... You know, because I think they, they did a really yeah. good job until yeah. they turned her into a snake woman. You know? Yeah, but totally. Yeah, no, I, I agree. For all the reasons I think we've sort of articulated on the podcast, this is just a really well done movie. I'm just excited. Like, it's been so long since there's been a movie that I wanted to talk to people yeah. about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, genuinely wanted to hear other people's opinions because I knew that they wouldn't align with mine and they would be different. And much, it, much more <laughs> bigger than against the aging people. <laughs> no, no. Just, like, it's to be excited about a movie and to have, like, all these little nuances. We didn't even get into the fact that, you know, peppered within this movie are these little sort of homages to how these characters are going to ultimately die. Each character has one. and Yeah, tell us about the yeah, one. Yeah, you, you got to give me some of those. Because, oh, I mean, okay. they, that totally went over my head, and I watched it twice. Okay, um, so I again, I did not see this the first time, so I'm not 
super smart. Um, but the foreshadowing I did notice the second time, and the first was with Bobby Lynn. When they're leaving the convenience store, there's a big sort of like a mural above her of a blonde who's getting her bathing suit sort of bitten playfully by an alligator. Oh, like this copper tone. Exactly, like mm, the copper tone. Yes, yes. And I was like, ooh, wait, what is that? And then with Wayne, he makes a, a comment about how people who are going to be watching these videos in the privacy of their home, their eyes are going to pop out. And how does he die? He dies by having um, his eyes impaled, basically. Uh, another one was... That's different from your eyes popping out. Well, that's true, <laughs> but it's, it still involves the I'm eyes. I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I'm holding to it. I had to work for these. <laughs> um, and then Jackson... Jackson was pretty easy though because he mentioned like the, oh. he specifically says like I've had enough of farmers shooting at me when he was referencing his work you know as a marine and what happens wow. a, farmer a farmer literally shoots, shoots at him. him and he bites it and then RJ is just he wants to make a porno but he wants to make an artistic porno mm-hmm. and so who gets the artistic death that's sort of bathed in this beautiful red light and has this killer soundtrack yeah. and there's dancing. I mean, RJ had it all. <laughs> so he got his cinematic death, right? He got what he wanted the film to be. Lorraine is the one that I can't figure out if there was a breadcrumb or not. There's got to be. I mean, if there's one for all the for other all characters. The How does she die again? She gets shot by Howard as she runs out of the okay. house. I did look this up at one point because I was like, okay, there's got to be somebody who, who captured it. And the only thing I saw was that people said that because she was called a church mouse, suddenly she does the opposite and she's sort of loud and screaming. But I don't think that's it. That doesn't seem that's to align. Not close enough, yeah. And that's an inversion, yeah. unlike the others, yeah. which are all sort of like a signaling. Yeah. So... I don't know okay, if well, anybody knows for our viewers, <laughs> listeners to take a yes. look at. Please tell me because yeah. I want to know, Lorraine. <laughs> Just to to sort of flag like how many horror films are coming out now with old women in them. Like, yeah, I just feel like it's definitely a thing. I just uh, the people who did uh, host the Zoom horror movie Ooh. have just released their second film called Dashcam. And it's about a woman who picks up, or no, I think it's a man, who picks up an elderly woman hitchhiker, and then things go south from there. So I'm like, that's going to be another film about little perhaps interesting. Well, I don't think it's going to be another 14 months before we (laughs) podcast again, but we make no promises. (laughs) So in the meantime, if you would like to talk to us, uh, we do have a Twitter account at Horror Homeroom. I mean, I guess we have an Instagram, but I am going to start that again. And that that's also at Horror Home. Listen, it's been a long two years of COVID, uh, yeah. but we're starting to get back on track. But I don't know. Is there any other movie you guys have been excited? Honestly, this is the first movie I've been very excited about. I want to go see, what is it, Black Phone? Black Phone? I, I want to see that. Yeah, that comes out this month, at the end of the month, I believe. I don't even know what that's about, so I'm perfect um, to go in. <laughs> it's based on a story by Joe Hill. Stephen oh, like King's son. So, yeah. It's getting a lot of good buzz. There's the new David Cronenberg film, Crimes of the Heart. People were walking out of that left and right at Cannes, apparently. Oh. All stuff. possibilities, yeah. people. You never know what you're going to get with us, <laughs> clearly. But if you want to chat with us, you know where to find us. And in the meantime, we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.